Welcome to the Destination Kingdom podcast, where one friend sharpens another and culture meets Christianity. I'm your host, D. And I'm Key. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode. We are a bi-weekly podcast hosted by two friends, D and Key. And we're on a mission to make sure that culture and Christianity meet because you cannot impact what you are not a part of. So let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. So, hey, real friends. As y'all know, it is Women's History Month. So I alluded to, well, we alluded to that we were going to do something special for this month. Um, And what we decided to do was highlight women in our lives that are making boss moves and have made history to us. That part. (laughs) So as a special treat for today, uh, we have two amazing women with us. Um, And so they are in the field of science. And we'll kick it off with the introductions. Kiera, you want to introduce Charmaine first? Yes. So I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. We're going to put some respect on <laughs> their name. I'll tell you guys something. These women are amazing. So we're gonna make, we had their introductions together. Amen. To the T. To the T. Amen. Okay. I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Charmaine Tutson, who is a former military brat that calls Hepsiba, Georgia home. Y'all know that's 706 all day, every day. Okay. She received her BS and her MS in chemistry from the illustrious Tuskegee University and her PhD from Auburn University. Currently, she serves as a radio chemist for the U.S. EPA and enjoys spending time with those she loves during her free time. Thank you for joining us today, Charmaine. (laughs) Thank you for having me, ladies. Yes. Um, And then I have the pleasure of introducing, look, my sister. (laughs) Doctor, look, doctor, because look, don't need one of them to be acknowledged for these doctorates they worked so hard for. That part. <laughs> but yes, um, Dr. Rakita Pollard is a research scientist and intellectual property specialist at one of the world's leading research centers. With a heavily rooted education and cultural experience provided by the prestigious Tuskegee University, Dr. Pollard went on to obtain her doctoral degree at Wake Forest University. Her career focus aligns with the transfer of technologies generated in the lab and making them available to the public as a commercial product or service. More importantly, her life focus aligns with promoting a healthier environment for everyone in all aspects. She strives to provide a visual representation for our younger generation to see that Black female scientists exist alongside a community that's passionate about creating the change we want to see. Outside of community outreach initiatives, you may find her catching flights, capturing moments in her sketchbook, or creating an innovative dish of her own. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank (laughs) y'all. So ladies, we just want to go ahead and just ask y'all, we read the bios, okay? Right. And we just want to first give ourselves credit and the real friends. We're all, you know, very intellectual people. However, can you explain in layman's terms for the people that don't understand what do you all do? Because we got a radio, we got an intellectual property. I mean, 
Hello. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. For the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Charmaine. You want to go start. first? Repeat Dr. Pollard, you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I'll start. Um, <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, as I said, my name is Charmaine Tustin. Um, in layman's terms, I work for the United States Environmental Protection Agency. I am in the nuclear field. Um, so when you think nuclear bombs, things of that nature, um, a few steps down. Um, so when you say the term radiochemistry, it's like every square is a rectangle, but every rectangle isn't a square. So every nuclear chemist, I mean, every radiochemist is a nuclear chemist, but every nuclear chemist isn't a radiochemist, if that makes sense. Um, and so what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is I monitor the levels of radiation in the environment via soil or water samples throughout all 50 states in the United States. And I just make sure that it is uh, acceptable and safe for humans. Okay, boss move, boss move. <laughs> On, Dr. Pollard. All right, so layman's terms, um, the tech transfer part or uh, intellectual property is, is what translates over to tech transfer. And that basically means the scientists are in the laboratory you, you know about the COVID vaccine. They're generating all of this interesting technology. So when they come up with these great ideas in the lab, they send it over to me or they have a conversation with me. And then we decide how we want to distribute this so that the public can now see these amazing things that have been done in the lab. So we decide whether or not we move forward with the patents. Um, that's part of the intellectual property. Or should we just distribute it to someone so that they can further develop it? And with that, we put agreements in place. Um, and then we move forward with maybe a license agreement, just depending on what the scenario is. So technology from the bench to the bedside where patients or the public can actually see and utilize these technologies is what I'm involved with. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I need to say something else. That was perfect. No. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, and um, we forgot this in our intros, but just so y'all know, real friend crew, we are in the presence of a real friendship. Okay. Yes, they um, have ever. 21 years in the game. Yes. Come yes. on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes. 706. And might I add, they are also my sorors. Oh, so catch me. Throw it up. Throw it up. I'm trying to control myself. But um, thank you, ladies, so much for joining us and, and for explaining that um, we know that science can be so vast, right? The STEM world is so vast. And Deanna, I, real friends, we know that we've told you all what we do at some point, but just for a recap, for our new real friends, D and I are also in the science field. So, y'all, we do have uh, real jobs. <laughs> right, right, right. We don't just do this on a regular basis. <laughs> right, but y'all keep listening and sharing so that you know whenever the Lord say, amen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we do have real jobs, and we're also in the STEM field as well. So, STEM and women in STEM is something very dear and dear to our hearts, which is why we wanted um, Rakita and Charmaine on the podcast. So, thank you all for joining us and for going ahead and uh, explaining what you do. Right, right. <laughs> but, but, for the people that's a little, little bit slower. <laughs> so, um, before we get into the like science questions, how did you all meet? 
So we met at Spirit Creek Middle School out in Hudson, Georgia, uh, in the eighth grade. We were on the same team. We shared a lot of classes, our math. We had Miss Freeman together, um, science, all of those. It was interesting that, you know, at that point in time, we were just little 13-year-olds navigating or gravitating towards one another because we had similar interests. Unfortunately, we departed after going uh, through middle school. She went to Hepsiba High School. <laughs> I went to college. <laughs> but um, I want to say around 11th grade or 12th grade, we would you know, see each other. Obviously, our high schools definitely had our rival games, et cetera. But it was a high school, 11th grade, 12th grade, when we both decided, I guess, we were going into Tuskegee University. She had a job at Walmart right up the street. I was working at Chick-fil-A, and we would run into each other during that time, too. Um, but I, w- I really want to say our relationship at Tuskegee really set off. Do you want to take it from there, Charmaine? <laughs> yes. So she, um, we lived in the same dorm, uh, which was Whitehall on the illustrious campus of Tuskegee University. Um, but she was on the top floor and I was on the, I was in the basement. And um, one day she called and asked if I was going to lunch. And anybody who went to an HBCU, maybe any college, you know that you don't go to the CAF alone. And so we went to the CAF and it's been parallel ever since. Uh, we separated <laughs> to go get our PhDs. And I mean, we never lost contact. I think we talk every day and if we don't, uh, just every other day and I mean we make time to link up in Augusta when we're both there at the same time and you know Google do anything we keep in touch and I mean it's just been up since then yes indeed <laughs> love it it's crazy how I feel like God allows um certain stories to run in parallel because y'all's story is definitely very similar to DNI's and like I didn't know the background between y'all. I just knew that y'all were best friends. I did not know the full background. So it's it's a pleasure to hear that. Thank y'all for sharing that. Yes. No All right. It's y'all look, y'all ready to get into these questions? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll pop it off uh, with this one. What got you interested into the field of science? Uh, and Rakita, you can start us off. All right. So at a very young age, science was something that always amazed me. Um, in class, I was excited. We were going over protons, neutrons, you name it. I, I definitely grabbed my attention. Plant biology, human biology, all of that uh, was something that was very interesting to me. And I, I really want to highlight a story um, as like a third grader. Mr. Brown was one that came um, and he was one of the TAs in the classroom. And he asked me, hey, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Grow up? And I was like, I want to be a doctor. And ever since that day, he's called me Doc. And I, I love that story. I love that interaction that I had with him because it was like every time he saw me in the hallway, remember the dream you told me about? Stay fast and stay strong with it. Um, and that followed me through, uh, went through a number of internships, et cetera, just to pursue that passion. And if I had to name what the actual roots bearing of me wanting to choose science, I look at my family members, I look at health issues, and I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? Why don't we have cure for certain illnesses that are going on right now? And what can I do to actually make a difference? And it was that that really, you know, spiraled inside of me. And, and it was like, let's go. This is this is going to be your course of action for life. So, and ever since, I've just been holding on 
finding new things to do, being innovative in science. There's so much in this field to definitely get involved with. So that's those are my beginnings. <laughs> love that. Love that. Love that. And we, I know we have some teachers that listen to this podcast. So teachers, just thank you for, for encouraging our students. You guys are really laying the groundwork right now um, for what they could be in the future. They could be our next judge, our president, our scientists, our engineers, our mathematicians, whatever. But thank you all for your service. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Charmaine, uh, what got you interested in the field of science? Oh, that's a big question. Um, so my story's a little different. Uh, growing up, my father was in the military and my mom was kind of the trailing spouse. And we knew we were going to go to college. We just didn't know how we were going to get there and what we were going to major in. And to be quite honest, I knew two majors upon graduation. I knew biology and I knew chemistry. I didn't know anything about engineering. I didn't even know math was a real major. No disrespect. I just didn't know that you went and majored in math. So um, all of my friends were choosing biology and I just wanted to be a little different. So I went with chemistry. Um, And in high school, I think I averaged 100 in that class. I was like, "Hmm, okay, I think I can handle this. Not knowing that (laughs) chemistry is a huge field there's different, you know, uh, specifics that I had have to go through. Um, but going to Tuskegee, it was a very small major. So I think when we started, there were seven of us. And the teachers, I still talk to them to this day, are the professors. Let me stop there. Um, I still talk to them till this day. And it was more like a family thing. And I just fell in love with it. And I started research uh, after my freshman year. And, I mean, I just realized how vast this field was and how I can make an impact being a minority in it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. It's funny how sometimes we just kind of fall into the things that work best for us. <laughs> yeah, that has exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, do you, you got the next question? I asked the first one. <laughs> but yes, sure, I got the next <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, Rakita, I think this one doesn't really apply to you unless you had a different dream job. Um, but you can answer if it was different. <laughs> uh, but Charmaine, did you have like a dream job? Um, yes, but not in like the traditional sense. So my okay. dream job was to a make up money to support myself and be able to, you know, help people around me. Um, B be close enough to my family that I could make a weekend trip home and you know, a close enough time zone to where they're not calling and waking me up or vice versa. And see, I was really huge on work-life balance, except especially after uh, completing my PhD. And so there wasn't anything like, you know, kids want to grow up and be a fireman or like a doctor. I wouldn't say it that way, but I did have some parameters that I wanted to ensure were obtained with my uh, career. Okay, perspective. That was a different perspective. I kind of wish that I had that perspective, you know, at a younger age. I feel like for me personally, like now being in my career, I'm like, okay, what is important to me? What like long term? What do I want? Do I want more time? Do I want more money? You know, when the Lord bring family, like how do I want all of this to look right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's great to hear that at a young age you were already setting that that standard for yourself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's big. Very big. Uh Dr. Pollard, 
Did, did you have a different answer for your question? Or you- <clears throat> well, for me, I will say when I first started um, or being interested in science, medicine, et cetera, I definitely wanted to be a physician. Uh, being Going the scientific route was something different. And the turning point for me, um, as far as going into medicine, going into um, science, was that patient relationship, that emotion um, baggage that you definitely have to take with you when you're having those one-on-one sessions with patients. And I don't think I have that emotional capacity to hold on. Um, I really applaud our doctors right now that are on the front line helping out, especially in this pandemic right now. I just know this was something that my heart couldn't pursue. Um, So in that light, it was graduate school. It was science (laughs) strongly um, for me. So, and now, you know, obviously the job I have right now is something that I, I definitely appreciate and I wouldn't change it. So. That's good. Yeah, I feel like, um, do you remember on the last episode where we talked about really knowing yourself and knowing Mm -hmm. your limits? Um, And in that regard, we were talking about something different, but that applies all across, you know, your your life and everything that you go through. Like Charmaine just spoke about and Rakita just spoke about, you need to know yourself in order to know what you want for your future and how to prepare for that. And there's all different ways that you can take that and apply it, but in terms of your career, really ask yourself, what do I want? You know, mm-hmm. what, what mark do I want to leave um, on this world? And don't pressure yourself to try to find the answer right then and there. Seek God and let him bring it to you. And he'll bring it in the most unorthodox of ways sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to preach. I'm sorry. No, I'm say it. You better say that. That's good, <laughs> though, because I love like the act. The aspect that you came from, Charmaine, because I think now, like with me, um, just being more like grounded in my career and like knowing what I'm going to do and knowing like, okay, like I have a job right now that I drive sometimes an hour, hour and a half, two hours every day, one way. And then I got to do that coming back. Like I'm engaged, you know, I'm thinking about having a family and like now I'm like okay like those things are important to me <laughs> like I don't want to have to drive two hours you know <laughs> like because I be tired and I want to be able to come home you know and be able to give my best to my family you know when that time comes so those are good y'all know I'm gonna I'm hype my friend up about her engagement any chance yes I Okay. Y'all better know. Y'all better know. Come on, family. Amen. <laughs> but yes, I think it's nice that you. Oh, I see that ring. She just. Do it again, Do it again. Listen, do it again. Do it again. Let me put it up. Let me put it up. <laughs> Come on, that's what I'm This is real sisterhood. Okay, all oh. loving on each other. And just encouraging one another. And listen, if you and your friends don't do this, you need some more real friends because they ain't no real friends. Okay. That part. That part. (laughs) That village is so important. That village is so important. In in your career and your family is so important, y'all. And these, you can't be a part of a a village if you don't have a work life balance. If it's all about Mm. work, you know, good for you. But I mean, it's going to get real lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You better say that, sis. <laughs> so I have a question for you, ladies. 
So we talked about work-life balance and we talked about having a village. I Do you all feel like it is important to also have your own uh, village within your job or within your field or your company? Because sometimes it is, you can almost, especially being a female, it, you can almost feel like you're in competition with each other, right? And some females may be receptive to you know, helping you and, and kind of mentoring you. Some may not, but I found it advantageous to have a village of men and women that look like me and don't look like me um, that sometimes I can just have an honest conversation with and even ask for mentorship. So have you all kind of found that to be an asset in your career? Most definitely. So it's definitely important to have a circle definitely on the job force. There are going to be some times or some situations that you may not be able to navigate all by yourself. So it definitely helps to identify those people in your office that are going to help push through and help you actually see this project to its end. Um, I know I'm really good with at least two two folks in the office, um, higher level and folks that are on my level. So you want to have that high level communication with someone. You want to have somebody that's on the same level as you. And you definitely want to be in a mentorship capacity as well um, so that where you're going, people can actually follow um, in your footsteps as well. So. Love it. Drop, gems drop. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know how to follow that up. Let me stop. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I agree with Rakita. Um, What I realized with my life is I have a village for it every aspect of my life. I have my sister that I just lean on for everything. I have my family that keep me grounded. I have Rakita who has paralleled my life. I have my professors from the CU who introduced me to research and science and being Black with a PhD. I have um, two friends that were two years younger than me at Auburn uh, for completing my PhD who I would not have made it through without them. Shout out to Emily and Maya. I'm sorry, Dr. Emily and Dr. Maya. Ooh, um, come on now. And then I have, right. <laughs> I have, I have my uh, best friend from uh, high school, Farmer. She is in speech pathology. She, I don't even know if she's ever taken a chemistry course in her life. Um, and you know, just these different aspects. I have my homeboys from Tuskegee, and I lean on all of them for different parts of my life. And I think. For the listeners out there, it's okay to have different friends for different things. Mm-hmm. All friendships don't have to be the same. You just have to be able to nurture that relationship, grow from them, and they grow for you. And I mean, um, as far as getting back to the actual question, um, <laughs> at my job, when I first started, we I actually knocked the average age out of the 60s. And so, you know, I went in not really knowing who I was going to hang out with. And I mean, there's a person I actually hang out with outside of work. Shout out to Angela and her family. And then I um, found some ladies who are also in the actual chemistry side of the job who, I mean, we complain together. We celebrate each other. Um, we have a group chat. And I didn't realize how important that was going to be to me because I thought I was just going to be an island at this job. I mean, mm-hmm. they're older than me, but I mean, we have that one thing in common and that brought us together. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love what you said about um, having different friends for different things in your life. Like, I mean, I've, I I personally feel like you will probably only get one to two friends, real friends that fit every area of your life. 
like that you could talk to no matter what. Um, but there, that is very accurate that you can have close friends that you can talk about work stuff with. You got another one you can go to for prayer. You got another one you can do. You know what I mean? I, I love that. That's a, a gym. Right. <laughs> All these gyms. That part. Um, okay. So the next question, what steps would you encourage someone to take that may be interested in something in the science field? Mm, that's a good question. Um, the correct steps. Well, I think the first thing would be to participate in either some summer science program or some science course, whether you're in high school or college, um, just to be introduced to it. And I think uh, the most important part is knowing that science is absolute. Right. So if you're black and you're a minority in the room, it's still carbon. If you're white and you're the only female there, it's still carbon or things of that nature. And so that fear that you have of not being enough, you just need to leave that at home because we all have, we all are fully capable. Um, I would think getting a mentor would be huge. Um, I'm blanking here. You want to take it, Rakita? <laughs> we probably are along the same steps. I definitely echo what you say about finding, you know, finding that network, finding your mentor, finding someone who's aligning with the interests that you have, um, just to see what what path they set out with and what steps you need to take to follow. And then the other piece I would add is, you know, there may be someone else in another field that may can see it and offer a different perspective. So maybe, you know, in some capacity, don't just limit yourself to that particular field as far as mentorship is concerned. Maybe ask someone who may have a doctorate degree in another science and another on another level, just to have someone um, else in your corner that has that professional degree that can add another take or add a different perspective um, as far as going through the process, going through the ropes. It's, it's definitely a challenge being a minority, um, pursuing these terminal degrees. And the unfortunate piece is a lot of us experience similar um, steps as far as going through the hurdles, the humps, the obstacles, that story is is pretty much going to be the same. So that's something I would add. Okay, good, good. Look, you mentioned these hurdles and obstacles. Um, <laughs> what would be one of y'all's biggest struggle being a woman of color in science? Um... So I think the biggest thing is that you're a woman of color in science, right? So in at Tuskegee, I was surrounded by Black excellence. Everybody mm-hmm. looked like me. Everybody had similar goals. It was home. I was my purest self. I was so comfortable, right? But then I got to Auburn, and I felt like affirmative action in every room, right? Even though I applied the same way they applied, I took all the same tests, I was still the Black person in every room. And then they found out that they could use me as that shiny prize. And so I became the diversity person, right? Mm-hmm. So they would take me out. They'd see me Burger King and they'd tell me to look out to other HBCUs in the area because they need to get their numbers up. And then mm-hmm. when I got to my job, I became a toy. Like everybody wants to be cool with the young black girl and everybody wants to ask if it's my hair and everybody mm-hmm. wants to know what I think of their dish at the company potluck. Mm-hmm. But I will say, 
at Auburn and at the EPA, I would definitely say that microaggressions is the biggest thing to get over to mm. me personally. And I can't speak for everybody else, but you know, those things like, wait, did you really just say that? Like, what do you really think? You know, I'd rather someone just tell me they're racist and show me what their actions versus you try to act like we're cool, but I still know that you have these thoughts about me. Um, and so being a black person in every room isn't my problem. Being in a room full of microaggressions and getting spoken over and someone stealing my ideal and then getting plotted on the back, I mean, patted on the back, that's the that I deal with that I think about on my job at home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you spoke to our soul. Well, you did. You, I was like, <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I had to pause. Take it out there. Girl, that, <laughs> that hit me deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, it hit us all deep. Everybody was on <laughs> Yes, yes. You you brought up a good point. Um, I have another question that's that's not on there, but Rakita, I really want to hear your thoughts first. (laughs) Okay. Um, so Charmaine and I definitely share similar experiences. We started out, got cultivated at Tuskegee University, so it was definitely black excellence all day long. You walk in the classroom, you go to the cab, you are definitely gonna see someone who looks just like you. And knowing um, that we were leaving, going to another or going to another institution to pursue our PhDs was like, okay, what is this going to look like? Um, how how am I going to be accepted? How am I going to be introduced to these people that don't look like me? Um, is it going to cause some issues of some sort? So I definitely um, went through my share of, of challenges and obstacles. Um, just learning how to adapt to that type of environment was one thing. I definitely clung close to um, people that looked like me (laughs) that also were in the programs. And you may get that we may have been 10% or less than that um, total. So we had our own little group um, of Black folks that we were able to hang out, talk about the difficult Converse or have these difficult conversations and actually try to gain support for one another to navigate through. And if I need if I need to go into details, it would be like um, actually pre have giving a presentation, um, giving a presentation on a particular topic. You're in a room full of older white men uh, that are very versed in the field, and here you are, the newbie in the group. You're black. They hadn't really seen you before, and it's like, what you got to say? Why should I even give you? a moment of my attention. And to me, that was a challenge. That was like, I bet you really think I can't bring my A game to this presentation. And luckily um, I was able to identify those people in the room that were like, hey, I, I understand that you're really wanting to pursue this degree. I understand that you're wanting to move forward with this particular profession in your life, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to do things that are going to present an obstacle to you. I'm going to do it, you know, do what you need to do or help you out as best I can. And it was the women (laughs) in in that particular program. Um, I will say shout out to my advisor, uh, Mary Sorcy Thomas, Manal. Those two were the the ones that anchored me um, in, in getting through grad school. And it was the talks, the pep talks, always telling me I needed to bring my A game. Um, don't shy down. Like, you got to stay strong. A wolf will smell blood and they will sniff you out. So come with it. 
Mm. <laughs> a wolf will smell blood. I love that. Right. The the question that I had was about um, Charmaine. You mentioned about microaggressions, right? How has y'all and D? I want to hear your your uh, expertise on this too. Mansplaining. Okay. For those of you that do not know what mansplaining is, mansplaining is when a woman says something and it can be a question or it can be a statement and then it gets overlooked and then a man turns around and says the same thing. Or it can be where a man is speaking to a woman and he just outright says, hey, so for example, hey, do you know what a hammer is? Yes, I know what a hammer is. Okay, well, we use a hammer to put something together. I just told you I know what a hammer is. I know what it's used for. So why are you explaining? That's an example of mansplaining. So have you all had to deal with that? And then if you have, um, how have you just kind of dealt with that in your professions? Yes, fans. Sure. Yes, I have dealt with that. Um, I at my job, I'm actually on a uh, project in which I am actually the only female on the team. But we have another uh, lady that comes in and sits in the meetings and gives her input. But sometimes she has to miss because this is not on her. Uh, it's a priority for her. Let me not speak for her, but you know, sometimes she just has to miss. We just leave it at that. And I've noticed. Um, when we're together in the meetings, it seems as if, because we're both black, FYI, um, it seems as if there are a little more intimidated, I don't want to, I, I guess is the correct term to use. But if I'm the only person there, you know, what would you just say? Blood, wolf smell blood, blood, is that what you said? It's just like, <laughs> blood, blood. yeah. And so um, there, there have been times when, like, I literally will say something. It gets pulled apart, you know, like, oh, this is the reason why we can't do that. And then a guy who is definitely not as qualified as me, no disrespect to his life, you know, choices. There's no PhD. I'm not sure if there's a master's. I'm not saying that makes me more intellectual, but he's actually not even in the chemistry portion of the job. He'll say Mm -hmm. the exact same thing. Little, oh, you know, he'll use different words. And it's a great idea. And I'm just saying, like, I literally just said that five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Or I will have like we've been at home since March 18th of last year. That's why I love this job. Um, so it's been a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of phone meetings, and um, they'll ask a question, I'll answer it. Everybody agrees, and then he'll go one by one and making sure that nobody else has anything else to say. We all just agreed on what I just said, but you know what? Okay, that's fine. However, it doesn't happen vice versa if I don't speak. And it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just, it's realizing that I'm not a part of the good old boys club, but I never want to be. Because I've mm-hmm. actually worked with women who want to be a part of it, and they're actually worse than the good old boys club members. Mm-hmm. Love it. Rakita. Oh, gosh. I'm going to think on that one a little longer, so. <laughs> we'll come back to you, girl. Don't feel, don't feel like you have to answer it. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah. D? Yeah, D. Um, I think it's a little different for me just because I have always worked in healthcare. Um, and it's mostly a women-dominated field. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a little different from me, but I can say that I have had experiences um with one of my old managers where he would do that. Um, but I think for me, I always just took it as that's your ignorance, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's your ignorance, and I couldn't let it affect me. I'm like, I'll let you say what you gotta say, and I'm like, I just said that, but okay, thank you. <laughs> That's so good. Um, everybody ain't able. I'ma leave that pet. <laughs> let me, but I do want to let the real friends know. I always behave in a professional manner, but there is a professional part of my last email. You know what I mean? <laughs> so because and Charmaine, I'm pretty sure you you've experienced this too. Like you can you can let that occur, but for so long before it's like okay. I'm intelligent just as you are. And there's a way that you do it. There's a way that you say it. And also you have to like pick and choose if it's even worth addressing sometimes. But for certain projects and for certain things where it does fall on you, there is a way that you have to let everyone know like, hey, I'm intelligent. I'm qualified. I have my credentials and I have my experience. This is the way we're going. Thank you. Period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, ladies. That was an impromptu question, so thank you all. Um, I okay. might, I have another question. Oh, okay, okay. It's not on the What's list. What's wrong with I thought about this when y'all was talking because y'all both mentioned that y'all went to HBCUs for undergrad, but then y'all went to PWIs for grad school. So my question really is, how do you think going to an HBCU um, helps to prepare you to go into a PWI setting? I can start. You want to go first? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I really feel, you know, just like the home setting, your parents, your family, your close folks are going to make sure you're ingrained with great morals, great support. And I feel like to see did everything and some to get me ready for what was to come in the real world altogether. Um, that cultural experience was like no other. Being in an atmosphere where everyone looks like me, we had the same mindset, we're all seeking a higher education was everything for me. So it made me feel like I was on top of the world. Um, self-esteem was boosted, all of that. So I was able to take that mindset and move forward um, and going, whether it was another HBCU or not, into the real world, knowing that I am somebody, you know, I am capable of doing everything that everyone else is doing. Um, and and I can make my mark on this world. Now, I will say Roberta Troy, Dr. Roberta Troy, <laughs> was one that really helped out um, as far as getting my mental right. She was one, I took a cancer biology course for her and that was getting us prepared um, if you want to go into medical school or graduate school after getting your BS. That was that course that was gonna make or break you. And I felt like after taking that cancer biology course and successfully passing it, I really was set. <laughs> I was ready to take on um, take on whatever was to come. And definitely those skill sets, that application, test taking, et cetera, being able to communicate effectively was something that came about um, and was very much needed at Wake Forest. So. Charmaine, you want to take it? 
sure. Let me read the question. <laughs> and this question came up off the dome. Right, right. You asked if, if the HBCU prepared us. That's it. I right? said, how do you feel like it prepared you to go okay, to a PWI? I didn't, I didn't, yeah. And oh, for those of my answer. Sorry, those are, for those of y'all that don't know, because I forgot sometimes. So HBCU is a historically black college or university, and PWI predominantly white institution. So <laughs> go ahead. Okay. I got so lost up in Rakita's answer, I done forgot the question. Um, so I'll say this, and I've always said this: I am an alum of Tuskegee University, and I attended Auburn University. So. Um, the thing that prepared me at Tuskegee, uh, Auburn gave me my credentials. Auburn introduced me to the nuclear field, but Tuskegee prepared me. Uh, Ooh, starting with the that. research after my freshman hey. year, <laughs> with the family environment, with allowing me to see Black excellence, Tuskegee prepared me with us not having the same amenities or money as Auburn and us still getting research done and winning grants and things of that nature. That's what prepared me because it allowed me to think outside the box. It allowed me to realize that I'm capable, like Rakita said. It allowed me to realize that you can be a nice person and a person with credentials. And so I think I could have handled the job that I currently have with just my degrees from Tuskegee. I just don't think I would have gotten a foot in the door with just my degrees from Tuskegee. If that answers your question. It does. It does. Because a lot of times some people... Like you say, it's like you need the credentials from another institution so that you can get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. But I hate HBCU it, but really prepare you to get there. Correct. Love that. Yeah. I love the perseverance in that. How you said, you know, look, I was prepared before I even stepped foot on y'all other campus. Okay, listen, I, 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 I did not have all of the money in the world, and we found a way. I love that. Love it. Uh, okay, last question, ladies. So we know that COVID is out. The Rona is real, okay? Um, and there is a vaccine out now. So for some people that may be on the fence about taking it, what um, what would you tell them? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most important thing is to do your research. Just because your mother's getting it, just because your father's getting it, somebody you know, do your research. And I think a lot of the fear that is going on now is because, you know, some people are pro-vaccine, some people are against vaccine. But along with that, people are seeing science from the beginning stages up until after Rakita and her text transfer, people see it um, and come into your shelves. And a lot of people haven't had that behind-the-scenes experience. And so... There's a lot of fear as far as how long or how fast, excuse me, they got the vaccine out. Some people just are against vaccines. Some people feel like the guinea pig. And so the way you can get rid of that ignorance or, and it's no shade to anybody, but is enhancing your knowledge. Read every article, whether it's from CNN, MSN, you know, it paid $30 to go from the Journal of American Chemical Society or whatever biology, you know, journal there is, you know, but do as much research as you can. Look at data numbers, talk to your friends who have it, talk to your friends who haven't had it, and basically form your own opinion. But don't just do it. Just don't just say yes or no, because it is a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Love that. 
Yeah. Rakita. That was a great answer, Charmaine. And I am going to echo everything you said. Um, I agree. A lot of times we fear what we don't know. So it only helps you to do your research, look into it, look into whichever type of vaccine you're wanting to actually take. So do your homework, talk to folks, get knowledge, obtain some knowledge about the vaccine that you're interested in and go for it. Um, uh, if, if it's in your best interest, I will say that. So. Awesome. Okay. Okay. These professional answers. Yes. Love it. Love it. So, thank you, ladies, once again for being here with us today. We have enjoyed you all. Um, I know that when the real friends hear this, they are going to love you guys. Um, so if you are comfortable, you can share your social media. If you're not comfortable, that's fine too. But if someone just had questions or maybe just want to reach out to you for mentorship or guidance, um, how can they find you all? It doesn't have to be social media. It could be email. It could be, you know, however you feel comfortable. um, If you are comfortable with allowing someone to reach out to you. And then whatever information you guys give out, we'll also put it in the um, comment section. And for people that listen to the podcast, it'll be in the description. Okay. Well, I am definitely on Facebook, so you can just type my name and find me that way. Uh, Instagram is another 87reddoc, 87reddoc, um, and email quitap at aol.com. Yes, I'm old school with it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up now. Wait a minute. Okay. Um, yes, you can definitely look me up. Um, my Instagram is Mainster the Gangsta but only one G. Um, It'll be easier if they put that in the description. I'm not going to spell it out. Um, And then you can email me at ctut, like King Tut, but ctutchemdoc at gmail.com. And it'll be a lot easier if you also put that in the description. (laughs) We got you, girl. We got you. We got you. Real friends, we got you. So thank you all for joining us for another episode. Do you have any uh, closing remarks? No, thank you, ladies. I definitely learned some more about y'all. So that was definitely a pleasure for me as well. Um, and I'm sure, like here said, the Real Friend crew will appreciate all the gems that y'all dropped. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, all right, Real Friends, we will see you all in two weeks for another episode. And don't forget, it is Women's History Month. So men, show the women some love. And women, when the men show you love, say thank you. Okay, don't have no attitude this month. Okay, amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) All right, we'll see y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.